We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. fans how you doing it is your boy andrew claudio here with another episode of the knicks film school podcast coming at you on a thursday morning september 1st welcome to september ladies and gentlemen this is the month where if you're a baseball fan here in new york you've got the home stretch before some playoffs to look forward to in october if you're a football fan in new york this is potentially the most hopeful you'll be over the next two weeks before the football season kicks off uh, in in two Sundays. Uh, If you're a hockey fan, um, whether it be the Rangers looking to uh, capitalize and uh, build on a pretty successful season last year, this is when training camp opens for them. And then there's that other team in Belmont that's looking to regain some of that magic from a couple of years ago under a new coach. And then, of course, if you're a Knicks fan and you're listening to this, which I'm going to assume 99th percentile of you listening are Knicks fans, uh, this is the month where Knicks training camp will open, Knicks media day will happen, and who knows if the media will be there. And we find out if the Knicks trade for Donovan Mitchell or don't trade for Donovan Mitchell in one of the biggest teases of a summer that we've ever seen. Uh, I'll be honest, I'm not the most informed on this subject. I have a little intel, but the person who does is John. And I, I I know it's weird to plug the newsletter on the pod, but he has been killing it with newsletters over the past two weeks. So if you are not subscribed to the Knicks Film School newsletter, he is taking all the intel he is getting and not blatantly telling you what he's heard, but almost cryptically telling you through... uh, Different storytelling devices. He's he's really sharpening those writing skills this week. I shouldn't even say sharpening. He's really utilizing those writing skills over the past two weeks. So check out the newsletter. Um, he's got a theory coming out on the one for Thursday of how the last two weeks have gone. I will let you do with that theory what you will. I think it 
actually makes a lot of sense what he says. But more on that in the next film school newsletter. On the pod you're about to hear, I thought for my final pod as host, fill-in host during the summer, I would go get one of my buddies from the industry. And that friend is Mr. Dan Favalli from Bleacher Report. Now, I understand that we as Knicks fans have a reaction to the national media that can be a little hostile, especially when it's just an LOL Knicks and the Knicks are used for clicks. And I would just like to go on record in saying I do reject uh, all of the people that do do this. And I do not think Dan is one of them. He's actually a Knicks fan. He was one of the bigger Frank Nilakina stands during the era of Frank Nilakina. The guy uh, grew up a Knicks fan, too, which is why when I talk about him, about the old school Knicks of the 2000s and the 90s, uh, it's like I'm talking to John. And it's it's that type of knowledge of the franchise that he has. He is just in the industry and has to be a little more objective than than some people have to be. Uh, and I know he's gotten into it with some of you from Nick's Twitter, but I say all of these caveats at the top to say he is also one of my good friends and just a genuinely good person. And I think you really enjoy this conversation. Um, we talk about all the different elements of the, the Nick's Twitter uh, reaction to things and why some of it is actually warranted with how the Knicks have been covered over the last decade. And uh, then we get into R.J. Barrett's extension and the Leon Rose process of negotiating with Danny Ainge and whether Danny Ainge might have a screw or two loose in the negotiations where five first round picks and R.J. Barrett not being enough is kind of nuts. And, you know, what is an acceptable offer if you're the Knicks as well as if you're the Jazz, what are you willing to trade Donovan Mitchell for? All that and more coming up. I hope you guys have enjoyed my turn filling in. If you haven't, John will be back on Monday. Uh, actually, he, Benji, and Jeremy and I will be conducting the fifth pick draft over the weekend. Um, and then we've got some interviews lined up next week and plenty of coverage of this team as we ramp up for our own version of training camp and the 2022-23 season. Without further ado, though, here is my conversation with Bleacher Report's Dan Favalli. Joining me now on the Knicks Film School podcast, a man that is here to hold his feet to the fire and answer all of the important questions from me on behalf of disgruntled Knicks fans everywhere. I will do my best, everybody. Uh, he's also a very good friend and a very good person. He is the host of Hardwood Knox, a pod on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Uh, he is an NBA writer for Bleacher Report, so he gives us the national perspective that isn't inside our blue and orange colored bubble. Uh, and he knows the game really well. And I feel enlightened after every basketball conversation that we have, even the ones in which we disagree. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Knicks Film School Podcast, Mr. Dan Favalli. Uh, are you ready for your airing of grievances, sir? I am always ready and thrilled at the opportunity to tank your downloads. And ah, thank always you. Thrilled. <laughs> always appreciated. Um, so we were talking a little bit before this started. Uh, and I've, I've mentioned when you've been here in the past that 
my cousin and you are very good friends. And obviously my cousin is my cousin and he was here on Long Island a couple of days ago and we went to a Mets game and we mentioned just how impressed we've been by like, you've now gone solo on Hardwood Knox and just seeing you grind and seeing you, you kind of grow the show. And I wanted to now on air commend you for how, how good the pod has been lately. And, and just to see your work ethic kind of build up what uh, the show has now become. Um, and no, this isn't me buttering you up before I attack you with venomous Nick Twitter uh, motivations. With that in mind, how is your summer going through all of the NBA news and scuttlebutt? Uh, well, one, thank you so much for just a like really, I don't disarming introduction. I didn't expect so many <laughs> kind words from you, and they're definitely not deserved. So I appreciate your low bar for content. But my summer is going well. Hardware Knox has been great. Um, people have responded well to the solo format, which has been fantastic. YouTube is a strange place now that we've got like some sort of a following on there. I'm apparently too emo to cover the NBA is like a big, like I get the nose and the forehead (laughs) jokes, but like the emo jokes were weird, but I very much enjoyed there are people on YouTube um, that feel like they're part of a community and they've said as much. And whenever they comment or I get DMS on Twitter or our discord, it's with a lot of great people. That's been the best part of sort of throwing myself more into this since I just have a little bit more time available this off season. And so I had the opportunity to relax this year for the first off season in forever. And I decided to just sort of double down and see what hardware Knox has become. And I think it's been, um, it's, I don't know if it's, it's blown me away. I don't know how long I can keep this pace, but I appreciate you following along or especially the kind words coming from a, a podcast savant, uh, producer extraordinaire like yourself. I'll just say this off the, off the top. The, the world of YouTube that I was afraid of when we first launched our channel and you, you hit it with the community and how cool it's been to like meet people in, in real life that like, Oh, I know you from, from your YouTube comments. And like we just did a Patreon town hall last night where I got to put faces and voices to a lot of our commenters and it was awesome. And then there's the other scary side of like, yes, I know I have a gap between my two front teeth, everybody. Thank you for, for reminding me that. Yes, I know I don't have the, the body of Charles Barkley in the 90s. It's much more Charles Barkley in the 2010s. Uh, thank you for pointing that out to me. I appreciate it. And yet the community is more what you, you got to focus on. The discord you hit too is is on the rise. It's something Nick's film school is exploring also that potentially might launch in a month or so. Um, you I guys might all, break the discord servers with we the might. community that you've built. Yeah. You guys have Listen, like, it depends, <laughs> you know, how prepared discord is for is Donovan Mitchell and Nick. And then 700 texts later or messages later. No, <laughs> you know, after all of those things, um, So I got my buddy Dan on because while being someone who grew up a Knicks fan, right? I could say that you grew up a Knicks fan, but you're, you're not, you can't because of your job, be a Knicks fan anymore while you do want them to succeed. So I'm not, I wouldn't, I would not. And I'm only mentioning this because he's a good example of his fandom. I'm not Mm -hmm. Zach Lowe detached from the Celtics. Like I, there's still a lot, like the Knicks can still kill me on the okay. inside. Like, and you can see behind me, if you're watching on YouTube, like I have Knicks like pictures and books and signed basketballs from uh Patrick Ewing and Walt Clyde Flazier behind me. So like, I'm very much a Knicks fan, which is just funny because 
I am more detached than most fans because I have to be for my job. And I, I do also think that they've just made me dead inside a little bit too <laughs> at following them all these years. Um, but I still sort of, there's like the ebbs and flows of the fandoms for me still. So um, it's funny when people just claim that I go nicks for clicks or I'm only bullying them because I'm, I don't want to call myself a media member, but a national writer. And it's just like, well, yes, but also when some people find out that I'm actually a Knicks fan, they're like, oh, and they don't know how to respond. And are you, am I allowed to say different things if I'm a fan as opposed? So it's just, it's a bizarre existence, but I recognize that it's probably better that maybe, I guess this counts as a reveal, but like there were people on Hardwood Knox for years who didn't know that I was a Knicks fan. And that's probably mm -hmm. like, a, I guess, a win. The amount of stumping you did for Frank Nilakina over the years should earn you in the good graces of Knicks fans forever. Um, I don't want to, I, I hinted that we might talk about some of the back and forth you've had with members of Nick's Twitter lately. I don't want to spend too much time on it. I will say it has been fascinating this week. And this will lead into the conversation about RJ to see the pushback we got to our just realistic and genuine reactions to the extension, not be a celebration. Like it wasn't so much that, you know, okay, He's here for four more years when that should be the expectation. Yes, the Charlie Ward curse is over, but like we have this running joke where if you say anything a little bit critical about a player, we, in response, why do you hate fill in the blank with player's name? And John's been getting killed with that for the past week with RJ because he got the intel that Woj got, that Shams got, that Jake Fisher got that RJ was being offered in a trade. And for those who want to know how the, his theory about how this process went, uh, check out the newsletter this morning. And I actually buy it that originally the Knicks were interested in not including their best offer to the Jazz. And then they took three weeks off because Kevin Durant held the summer hostage. And then when we went back into negotiations, when Durant decided to stay, they included RJ. And Danny Ainge, who had initially said, well, you're going to have to include RJ and then we'll do it. When Leon Rose came back and said, all right, we're ready to include RJ. Danny Ainge pulled some fuck shit and was like, well, fuck you. I'm now wanting more things. And Leon Rose said, well, no, fuck you. I'm going to extend him instead and take him off the table. And now here we are. Um, I am fascinated by the fact that we weren't we were supposed to apparently throw a parade for them doing something that competent franchises do. And while I look, I am high on RJ Barrett. You and I have talked about that. We would like to see him develop and see what he is here in New York. But I, I, I was actually kind of proud by the way we covered it. Uh, the reaction you get sometimes I I'm going to answer, ask this question delicately. The reaction you get sometimes as someone that because of the nature of your job, you can't be like pro Knicks with your analysis. You try to look at the bigger picture. And as a result, you have to look at what the Knicks have been for not just this year, not just in a vacuum of the last three years, but you, is it fair to say you look at the whole of what the Knicks have been for the last two decades and it like informs what, like what your analysis is. I probably tend to celebrate the smaller victories less and I'm not going to give them as much credit for 
doing things that a competent organization should just because I think um, you want them to be held to a higher bar. And it's almost mm-hmm. an insult to say that like, whoa, they kept like someone that they drafted third overall, like they signed them to an extension. It's almost an insult to make that be the bar for success. And so that's how I tend to come at things. I do try to look at teams relative to their situations, but with the Knicks specifically in this front office, I think they've shown a level of competency and gamesmanship that now warrants that we expect more out of them than just, you know, applauding an RJ Barrett extension that I think is uh, the word I used was fine. And I called him a good player and that apparently just wasn't enough. Um, So like I, you look at what was guaranteed on it and it works out that like, if this is someone who continues to develop and you think he can be the third best player on a title team, you just signed someone to a below market deal. I think that's a, a reasonable gamble, a reasonable chance investment to make. Um, I was just surprised at the reaction of how many people thought it was not a steal, but it was just like, oh, the Knicks were never going to include RJ Barrett in trade talks for Donovan Mitchell. And I'm still just, John's more plugged in than way more plugged in than I am. I just still don't believe, I think if you held Leon Rose's feet to the fire, um, and sir, maybe even Tibbs's feet as well, and you asked them, like, would you have preferred to have included two unprotected first round picks or RJ Barrett? If that was the actual ultimatum they were given, which I don't believe that Utah viewed RJ Barrett that highly. And even if they did as a player, I do think the extension eligibility itself was important is when you're in the infancy of a rebuild, you don't automatically want to commit nine figures to a player, however young he is, uh, unless he is that temple star. And that's, I think, the kindest way we could put it for RJ's. It's very much TBD there. And so I was surprised at how many Knicks fans just assumed it was like, well, the Knicks never had him on the table or or I don't want to say wanted to include him because you don't necessarily want to include anyone in these trades, but that he was untouchable somehow. And I just, I don't, I never got the vibe once from the Knicks's part that he was even close to untouchable. I think, well, so there's two parts of this. I think it's impossible after the reporting that's come out the past couple of days to say he was never on the table. There was an offer made to Utah with RJ Barrett in it. And man, the you want to talk about reactions, the firestorm that would have come if Danny Ainge said yes. That's just one thing. Um, the other aspect of it is like, do you think RJ would have gotten a max had he waited a year, like waited until his fourth year was done and like played at basically bet on himself that I will get better, I will get more efficient. And then next summer, similar to DeAndre Ayton, like a team with cap space will force the next hand match this max offer or not. Do you think that he would have gotten to that point? Because I think I think I think they would have. Yeah, my guess is unless he had like Julius Randle type regression this coming season, he would have gotten more, especially because of how many teams are slated to have cap space next summer. That's my gut feeling. That's that's mine too. And I think it was ours as well on the live stream, which is why I think the celebration of this being him taking a discount is what the reaction has been. And look, it's a little victory, but and I listen, if I had to psychoanalyze where this starts, um, I don't even think it has anything to do with the last 20 years of however long the Charlie Ward course has been, which I think is 23 years. I really think this starts in 2019 when for three months, when the national media clowned the Knicks for trading poor Zingis and every Knicks fan was like, yeah, but we're getting Katie and Kyrie. Like, I'd rather have that. We have, we're tanking because we're going to get Zion. And then the summer of 2019 turned out the way it was. And in almost an instant when they chose Brooklyn, it was like, we didn't want him anyway. Katie tore his Achilles. Kyrie doesn't play defense. 
And look, we got Julius Randle. He's a solid piece. Look, we, we got Taj Gibson, Marcus Morris, all these solid switchable pieces. And that summer costs Steve Mills his job, you know? So that initial defense of initial defense, because they're look, there is a Knicks for clicks that exists that is just flat out a thing that happens. I'm not saying you do it, but it just comes with the nature. Chris Herring t- told me once this this story about when he was working at the journal and they just had like this small spot on the, the paper um, for the actual, remember when we used to print out newspapers and read them. Um, if they asked him to do like a quick 300 word thing on the Knicks, just to fill in space, he would write about their G league prospects or somebody at the end of the bench, just a little, little anecdote. And this is like during the, the tanking season or the version of the Knicks that um, was tanking that ended up with Porzingis. He would just write a little tidbit about that, that, that portion of the Knicks. And then when they'd come back to him the next day, it was their number one online traffic. Like the Knicks do generate views that way. I think the, I don't want to call it insecurity because sometimes it's warranted, but it's like, you did not need to include the Knicks in this story, but that starts with 2019. And since then, the Knicks fans have wanted a clean slate with Leon Rose, who to this point has not shown the incompetence of a Phil Jackson, of a Stephen Mills, of an Isaiah Thomas. And it seems like some of the baggage that's come with being the Knicks GM under Dolan or the Knicks president under Dolan has, you know, rubbed off on him. Do you see any of that? Are, are we giving him too much credit or you know, you said they've they've earned at least the the expectation to be more competent. Yet, I mean, look, Donovan Mitchell would have been a Nick for a, an offer that probably Knicks fans would be like, "This is entirely too much." If Leon Rose didn't stand Danny Age in the face and say, "Like, I'm I'm calling your bluff. We have the best offer." Yeah. So there's definitely disingenuous coverage, and it happens to every team. I'm sure Kings fans feel the same way. As an example, mm-hmm. um, I also just. Unless the if the coverage isn't disingenuous, fine. But unless it's actually attacking the fans, if like I don't understand the outrage, or at least when it if it's that's their opinion, and again they're not attacking the fan base, they're criticizing the team. I never understood those ties, even when I was just before I started covering the league. But that's also the benefit of fandom is there's that there's it's escapism, but it's also irrational on some level, and I love it. But there's a point where it becomes toxic. I do think what we have trouble separating is there's still the level of, and I'll use the RJ example specifically, is that when you hear an offer that RJ plus two unprotected picks and then other stuff was involved, you're a Knicks fan and you're going, wait a minute. And just fan bases, all fan bases become attached to their promising young players as they should. You're going, well, if another team is giving up like their blue chip prospect, like they're not including all this other stuff. The Knicks, by way of, I feel like, giving RJ this inconsistent developmental arc over his first three seasons have sort of tapered his value on the market to where you would need. We don't know what his highest end outcome after these three seasons would be, because I don't think he had the opportunity to reach it. We've mm. seen flashes, stops and starts. Some of it's on him, of course, um, but he's just been thrust into so many different roles. And it, a lot of that's a function of how they were, you know, look at what he kind of did in year two with those bench heavy units. And then they bury him in the pecking order a little bit to start last year. Um, and so I think that goes into it as well. It's why when I disagreed with this, but there were jazz people that were just like, well, Obi Toppin and Emmanuel quickly are barely rotation players. Mm-hmm. And Emmanuel quickly, that one was always kind of off the rails because he actually played a bunch, but like 
Obi Toppin just didn't really play that consistently through his first two years. And so you can understand why people who aren't following the Knicks would view him in that vein. And so I think there's the level of, yes, it might be inaccurate critiques or just not fully valid, but they're not like malevolent. And that's where the separation is tough because I do think the Knicks are responsible for how some of their current players slash assets are viewed because they haven't had the opportunity to really showcase what they have consistently enough or high profile enough to the rest of the league. So two things on that. For one, you're, you're dead on about the the inconsistency in development. And I think that's why Knicks fans are not ready to give up on an Emmanuel quickly on a Obi Toppin and absolutely on an RJ Barrett. Um, I was talking to JD sports talk of uh, Knicks fan TV last week. And just the con- the consistent thing we went through is like, I have no idea what RJ's ceiling is because he's either had to play next to all of the power forwards in 2019 off Julius Randle as he started off as like the second best player or the second option. And as, De- as Derek Rose got more involved, it really became like a one, two punch where RJ was more opportunistic, but became a really good corner three point shooter. And that's why his shooting splits were what they were. And then last season, I challenge anybody to have a good, any type of season next to Julius Randall and the version that we got last year, plus the whole cluster of is Kemba washed. Is he not? And trying to figure out if that could work for 55 games was just a mess. And there's this 34 game stretch that I keep pointing to with RJ from December 1st to about late March, early April, where it's 24 a game. It's not like elite efficiency, but it's like fine efficiency for a year three player that if you built on that, it's, it's something you actually are fine giving a max to. But I think that's what Knicks fans are pointing to. It's like what you just said. I have no idea what this team is from like their ceilings. I have no idea what RJ is. I have no idea what Emmanuel quickly is because he was playing like back up to Alec Burks the entire season. And the Obi Toppin thing. And this is into the second point that I, it's why I give Knicks fans a like fan is short for fanatic, right? But because you're a fanatic, you're addicted to the thing you're fanatical about. And like, I'm a believer in last 14 games, Obi Toppin. I'm also realistic to the fact that it was 14 games. But the seven-minute Obi games, because he was told, go stand in the corner on these second units, it's just not the way to use him. He needs to get out in space. He needs, like, like 25 minutes a game because, like, good things happen when he plays. And that just wasn't a thing Tibbs would do, which led to the consternation across the fan base last year about whether or not it's his fault, whether it's the front office's fault, or whether it's, you know, kind of on the players to be better. Um, And because... Knicks fans are addicted to their team. They feel they know what Obi Toppin's ceiling is more than someone who's just looking at his inefficient splits for the first, for the entirety of his two year career. And I think that is more of an explanation. Like you said, Kings fans probably feel the same way. Who are you like person in New York to say, you know what our team is. The way the Thunder fans react to like the Sam Presti tanking jokes. And it's all, look, there's, there's the disingenuous forms. Like I said, that would, that should rankle fan bases. Um, I just, uh, I do feel like this is also a function of the Donovan Mitchell soap opera has been going on too long and Knicks fans and jazz fans are probably ready for it just all to be over. And we're, you know, we did have just some new tidbits recently, but like we've all just been arguing and pouring over the same old like BS and leaks for how many months at this point. Can I be honest? You just said we just got new tidbits. I just refreshed Twitter to make sure you didn't mean just Got new tidbits. It's you just did the same thing. 
<laughs> just to make sure while we're recording this, nobody got traded. Um, so I do want to talk about Donovan Mitchell. And there's really only two things I've actually disagreed with you on. And we've texted about it over the past couple of months. It's what the Knicks did on draft night being a bad thing. And because you I think you were a little higher on the guys from 11 on. You thought they should have just take in Jalen Duran and like there's your replacement from Mitch. I was... I was actually the day. Usman Jang guy, and I still am. Obviously, okay. like I was actually, I actually liked him, which factored into my analysis of it. So, can I now, with the benefit of two months of hindsight, re-ask you the fact that the Knicks are this far into the Donovan Mitchell sweepstakes because they have three extra first-round picks for the eleventh pick, which, as a result of not. I mean, they were never going to take Duran. They were never going to take Usman Jang because they were going to re-sign Mitch. They had Hartenstein in the in the in the books. Can we now say that what they did as part of their process is not the worst thing? You know, for sure. And I think you can look when you look at the moves that they did in some and what they gave up, and then it turns into space for Jalen Brunson. And even you know, I was a big fan of the Hartenstein signing as well. Uh, I think you can call it like solid. Maneuvering, And if you want it to be critical, I guess you could call it unspectacular if you don't think they're going to end up with Mitchell now. I do think what's going to wind up to me being a big part of this is, well, how much of this equity is left over or how much equity did you save yourself by making this trade so that you can go out and now get the next guy? Because I've been the big believer in you, you can trade. I'm not one of the people that thinks they need. And I could see this Knicks fan getting frustrated with this. Like, well, the Knicks need to give up whatever because if they don't have Donovan Mitchell, they fail. No, I'm not of that. I'm fine with Donovan Mitchell. I'm fine without Donovan Mitchell, quite frankly, because I don't think Donovan Mitchell turns them into anything uh, material in the East necessarily next year. You need to then, if you have Donovan Mitchell, acquire his equal or his superior to, I think, become a real threat. And you're going to need like players, like prospects or draft picks to go out and do that. And so I do think a big um, part of this is still sort of TBD of, well, did those picks really help you enough to where you have enough left over or you didn't necessarily have to give up as much of your own stuff. Um, and so that's just what, that's what we're waiting on. Those are probably the finer deal points that New York and the jazz have haggled over to no end. And they're going to get harder to haggle over now. I imagine because we both know RJ Barrett can still technically be traded, but like the mechanisms that go into it, you would need a third team to, to really make it happen. I'm at the point now after what Jake Fisher said today about the, without actually being something of a not deal breaker, but a, as like a conclusion to RJ being included. Um, I don't think the Knicks extended RJ to then trade him at this point. I know they can. I'm not like saying that it's not a possibility. I just don't think you, you create an enemy, an enemy in RJ's agent. If That's what I was going to say is, yeah, you, you wouldn't. And Leon of all people isn't, like is a former agent. Yeah. yeah. Like you, he would of all people would understand. That's just not something that's not good practice. It's not how you build relationships. Um, I, I will say the, like, I think this is why, and to bring it back to Knicks fans, this is why some of the things that have been criticized over the last year or two, it seemed to be paying off now, like the Porzingis trade, which that's not Leon Rose, that's Scott Perry. And who knew what Porzingis was going to become in, in Dallas, one would say Knicks fans did, but like the fact that they have the Mavericks first round pick this year, that they had the cap space to sign Evan Fournier and Fournier by for all of his deficiencies on defense last year, hit more three pointers than anybody in the sport from January 1st on. Um, The fact that, 
all of these pieces are kind of culminating in now and Leon Rose is actually negotiating and not fully Donnie Walsh or whatever that summer for Mello was, you know, okay, I'm going all in for this one guy is impressive. I guess my question to you now, just as like a, a, not an outside observer, but as an unbiased observer, like are the Knicks, like what is enough from your perspective for the Knicks to give up in a Donovan Mitchell trade? That's so tough to answer because I think this is the rare occasion where both sides have played their hand perfectly. And Mm -hmm. you have both fan bases believing that they each have all the leverage. Uh, And so I've been fascinated by these negotiations. I think there's like, when you get into three unprotected pick territory is where I start to veer into, well, that's too much because you're talking about at least one, but probably two, if this deal is getting done, that are going to post-date Donovan Mitchell's current contract. And Nick's draft picks, the spots, they've historically been pretty valuable. And No, no, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. And the Knicks have shown the ability to draft really well, especially when they're not in those top slots. I just don't know that I would feel comfortable. If you're telling me that they're giving up 27 and 29 or 26 and 28, whatever the version ends up being, and they're unprotected, that automatically makes me uneasy. If those are the crowning centerpieces and that's what it takes for you to keep Quentin Grimes now and RJ's not included, and then there's all these ancillary first that you have, or there's first that are protected. Once you get past the two unprotected first round pick territory, I know it's going to take more than that to get Donovan Mitchell. But if you give up that third unprotected pick, I think you've really, you know, I guess if it's 23 and 25, yes, it's different. But if we're talking two picks past 2025, that can just be owned by the jazz outright. Maybe there's even swaps included. um, And you're going to have to include probably at least one additional young player, if not two, that's sort of my like walk away point or let's reevaluate this and see what the trade market becomes for other players as we head in to the deadline. I think two unprotected picks is a reasonable gamble to make, but when you're adding stuff on top of that, like again, from the Knicks perspective, RJ Barrett, I understand why you wouldn't want to take that risk or that's your best and final, but I also understand why as Utah, you, that's not enough for you, especially mm. with an RJ Barrett extension looming. So for me, I just, wouldn't want to see the Knicks give up three unprotected first again. I I should frame it this way. I don't want to see them give up two unprotected first past 2025. That just seems like, you know, if you, if you go all in on that, I also wonder what is the package then you're going to build for the next star that you deem is gettable. Are you banking on the cap space route becoming feasible because there might be a free agency renaissance given how the salary cap is moving up and how we know certain players have to reach free agency because they can't get their max off of extensions anymore. Do you see the Lakers getting involved? That feels like sort of fate complete at this point. And I know you guys have talked about this. <laughs> yeah, I've discussed yeah. it. Other pods have discussed it. If they're willing to include even like one of their first round picks, the 27 or 29 or both, um, I don't know who they want on the jazz now. Like that's going to, they give up two first round picks for like, I like Boyan Bogdanovich and Mike Conley in a vacuum. Are you shorting that much of your future for both of those dudes? But if they're willing to include one, uh, maybe that makes your job easier because things do tend to work out for the Lakers in free agency, it feels like, or Anthony Davis requests his trade there, Mm. or LeBron James wants to go there in free agency. But a 2027 or even a 2029 Lakers pick, if it's not protected or it's very loosely protected, that has to look awfully attractive to every single team in the league right now. There are some 14 trades out there where the Lakers end up with adding Fournier, Bogdanovich, and Buddy Heald, maybe even Miles Turner, maybe even Cam Reddish, basically filling out the Lakers roster. Then the Knicks 
just get Donovan Mitchell. I think Rudy Gay would have to match in some type of salary. Russ would go to either Indiana or at, at this point probably ends up in um, Utah. So that way, be, wire. well, like just like gets yeah. wherever <laughs> the money needs to go, so that way he can just be bought out and you know sent home for this for the season. Um, and then Indiana ends up with some of the Knicks garbage picks. You know, or I shouldn't say garbage picks because the protected picks do have value, but obviously not as much as the uh, unprotecteds do. And then Utah with Russ also gets the Lakers two first, the Knicks two on two of the Knicks unprotected first. And that's how Danny Ainge gets to go back to his fan base with, I got four more unprotected picks over the next however many years. Um, We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, I wanted to ask you, what is your thought on like the haul that you're willing to give up? Is the third... Or is the is the second unprotected pick post 2025? Like, are you willing to go that route for Donovan Mitchell? So it's funny. One of the things I've disagreed with the uh, rabid portion of Nick's Twitter on is Tom Thibodeau's value as a head coach. Um, I actually think they'll be pretty good with Donovan Mitchell boosting the offensive floor of this team. Um, but like this is a team that despite being pretty okay on defense the last two years has finished bottom 10 in offense. And I think Tibbs will be able to get the most out of Donovan Mitchell on the defensive end, even if there isn't much to get out of Donovan Mitchell on the defensive end, I think he'll get, like I watched Julius Randle play defense really well a year and a half ago. So like if he could do that with Julius Randle and turn him into a second team all NBA player, granted a lot of long two pointers assisted with that as well. Um, I think like the last time Tibbs had an offensive guy like that was Jimmy Butler for a year. And it's the most successful season that the Timberwolves had until last season. And then before that, it was Derek Rose who won an MVP and they won 60 games in back to back years. So giving Tibbs kind of a, it's why I've always compared him to Rex Ryan. Like you need to let him run the defense. And then just, if he had a great quarterback, he'll be able to, just like let the offense kind of run itself and he could focus on the defensive side of the ball. That's not a good basketball way to do things because you want someone that knows both. 
But I do think things get easier and the Knicks will be better. And as a result of saying all of this, Dan, um, I'm actually okay with... I'm okay with them giving up 23-25. If they gave up a third unprotected, because I'm also confident with Donovan Mitchell coming here, he's signing his next contract too. Like especially under the that, with the that's with the part cap of the, going up. That's part of the appeal. And it's also why I do think like you are some people I think have discounted other teams' offers. Like if it's not Miami, if and, and or New York, we know that uh, there's not a guarantee he wants to stay there. And so a team that's let's just say the Raptors want to get involved. The Raptors fans are angry as hell at me right now for, I thought it'd be a good fit. Uh, but the Raptors are a great organization. In theory, you wouldn't short their future, but if it's a place that you don't know that Donovan Mitchell wants to be long-term, there is more incumbent appeal to their distant first. I'm not necessarily saying more than New York, but certainly if you were to weigh it against Miami's distant first round picks, for example. So as a result of saying that, I think the likelihood of Mitchell signing in New York long-term in three years is very high. I, I This is a theory. I'm half kidding with this, but I also think the fact that he'd love to just go to the World Series in the city that he is currently playing basketball for because he's a big oh, Mets a fan. fan no, he's a big Mets fan. A gigantic I, I Mets. Oh, sorry. Did I just... <laughs> my bad. I apologize. I realized what you just did. And no, not today, sir. Um, having said that, uh, the fact that he can like go to Mets games, and I, I doubt this matters, but that's a likelihood of like, this is a life lifestyle choice that he will make. Um, money talks. I also think a spike in salary cap will help the Knicks speak that language, you know? Um, and as a result, I'm, I'm okay going to three unprotecteds. If the Lakers are providing the fourth, <sighs> Jeremy actually made a good point on the town hall. We were talking just now that if the Knicks are giving up three unprotecteds, then the protected picks should be fewer also. So like one, they give them the Dallas pick, give them the Wizards pick, um, because one of those will probably convert this year or next year. Um, so that way you do have some ammo in the chamber in the future, you know? Um, yeah, that's where I, that's where I draw the line and I'm okay. Evan Fournier, I think I'm okay with Quentin Grimes because I, the Knicks will have a 20, a late first round pick, whether it's a 21st pick, 22nd pick to then do the same thing, work Walt Perrin's magic in the future anyway. Uh, so yeah, that, that I think all of it to say three unprotected first with the Lakers getting involved to help as far as the young players are concerned. And this leads to another portion of this. I think my only real holdovers that I don't want to see go are quickly Obi and RJ and Obi, even though I've seen his name brought up in trade talks are Obi. I want to see play because he doesn't need the ball and it leads to the Julius Randall conversation. Um, I, John and Jeremy been reassuring me when I've asked them, like, do you see him going? There's this hypothetical Charlotte trade where it's like straight up for Gordon Hayward that the Hornets will apparently be ready to do once Donovan Mitchell, that domino falls. Um, do you, do you see Julius Randall on the Knicks next year? Have you been operating under the assumption he will be on the Knicks next year? I have. Uh, okay. And I heard you guys talking about the Charlotte deal. And if I'm the Knicks, I do it in a heartbeat just to get out from under the longer term money. And I do think, look, if you're adding Mitchell to a team that has Brunson and then you still want RJ to have a prominent role, though I do think the part of the appeal with RJ is I know his corner three-point shooting 
fell off a cliff last year. We shot, shot like 36% from above the break and he's on 37 plus percent on catch shoot threes for his career. Mm-hmm. He's very much adaptable. I just want to see him have an opportunity to be more than a three and D wing. I think he has the capability to be more than that. Um, I just, I, I honestly don't know if they can move, if they can move Julius Randall and the contract is shorter that they're getting back. I would just do it. I'm not trying to say Julius Randall's is terrible basketball player. Now, I just don't understand how he fits into the larger context of your team moving forward. And to just follow up with a quick question on what you were talking about with the picks, uh-huh. if you give up that, it'd be different if the Knicks already had the other guy or someone they believe will become the other guy for Donovan Mitchell. Jalen Brunson's a very good player whose contract was very much overblown because people are still getting sticker shock in this new salary cap climate. Do you think Jalen Brunson's a top 15 point guard? If he's not, he's close. And that's what his salary is. He's being paid right now like a top 15 point guard. So that's fine. Um, I don't think that they... We can't sit here and say RJ Barrett's that guy because the Knicks have not given us the sample size or the usage to to say that. And if you're giving up that third unprotected pick, how are you building out that next trade package for a star? Because that's where it gets incredibly difficult. You'll have the leftover, but if Utah's not taking those picks as the primary compensation for Donovan Mitchell. Why is another team taking those picks as primary compensation for an equal or better player down the road? So two things. One, so if it's 23, 25, and 27, as soon as two years from now, the Knicks can trade 29 and 31. That's like a very, like, I guess a longer game than if I'm giving up that many first round picks now. Right. I'm not trying to play this let me wait another two years so I can give up more first round picks, I guess is where I'm at. But unless you think the Celtics are going to let Jalen Brown walk, where's free agency factoring into any of this? Like, I don't see a free agent unless you think Kawhi and Paul George. I'm not saying the Knicks should plan for free agency. I'm saying you need to strike that balance to where you actually have an adequate star offer. I would say closer than two or three years down the line than it is now. And that's where the third unprotected pick now, the, the 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 way you outlined it, by the way, is the ideal scenario because 23, like if they're bad next season, they have bigger problems. Yeah, than if like, they're bad next year, everybody's getting fired. Like that's right. That's so that's a different situation. And there's some yeah. risk, but you know Donovan Mitchell's under contract. And like the 25 one is just it makes me uneasy, but not too uneasy. And it's it's not even we know Donovan Mitchell will be signed, but once you start kicking to 26, 27 and further, any team that's gonna make me. I was uneasy when the Clippers did it. And they essentially traded for both Kawhi and Paul George. Right. Like right. when they did it. So were you queasy when the Timberwolves did it? Oh, all their picks that, that they was, gave up. Yeah. And that was just, I'm on board with what they're doing. It's not a cost I would have paid for it, but I also think it was, which is why I do think Knicks fans need to kind of take the jazz seriously here. It was a function of the Danny Ainge was very much okay. Not trading Rudy Gobert and given Donovan Mitchell doesn't want to be in Utah. That's just, that's a fact at this point. I know some jazz fans resisted, but it's a fact that's a little bit different. And Rudy Gobert is okay being in Utah. Donovan Mitchell has three years left on his deal and is, hasn't even really entered his prime yet. And so this is something that could drag on, which is why, again, I'm fascinated by these negotiations because I think the Knicks have by and large, I think there's probably a little bit of extra spin on their part where we might find out with however many first round picks they gave up. It's, oh, we we kept RJ and we just decided to give up all these additional firsts like the Wolves tried to do with Jaden McDaniels. Um, I, it just feels a little extra given the way that his extension was reported. It just feels a little extra is all I'm saying. To be clear, the actual dream scenario for me is LeBron forces the Lakers to include those two picks and the four unprotected that Utah gets back are the two Knicks unprotected in 23 and 25 and the Lakers in 27 and 29. I'm operating under the assumption 
that the Lakers will only kick in one. And Danny Ainge has already proven that he wants four. So if I had to, the, the absolute best thing I could do, if it means I get to keep RJ, I get to keep quickly, I get to keep Obi, and the depth stays here going forward. Um, look, I, I'm assuming that because they know that they're going to be... Um, on the hook for 23, 25, 27, as far as their picks are concerned, I think they will not sit around and tank like Brooklyn did when they owed Brooklyn old Boston, all of those picks. I also think I trust the Knicks, which is why I keep going back to the mellow deal. When people are like, this is mellow all over again. It was one pick and one pick swap that shouldn't have mattered because the Knicks are supposed to be good with Carmelo Anthony. That pick was never supposed to be late. The swap was never supposed to come into play. And then the Knicks just did not know how to team build after that. I'm confident in this team with one of the better talent evaluators and Walt Perrin with all of the connections of World Wide West. We'll see if they actually turn into something other than Jalen Brunson soon. Um, and just the competent team building that Leon's done so far last season aside, like we are a year and a half removed from them surprising everybody and being a four seed. And in a down year, winning more games than the Pelicans who were a playoff darling last year. So I'm counting on them to be able to team build better. The dream scenario is them to only give up two because you're right. 27, 29, 31 should be available to the next star trade and the Lakers throw in the other two picks. I'm just saying if push comes to shove, it's a 2027 pick. The only thing stopping me from getting Donovan Mitchell, I would probably concede. Now, listen, Leon Rose hasn't yet. And it's probably why he's negotiating. I'm not. But that, I think, for me personally, is where I'd say, all right, this is our team going forward. We're building around Donovan Mitchell and Jalen Brunson. And hopefully RJ turns into that guy as a, a third player that can play, you know, with these two, you know? Yeah. And I think, to be clear, I think the thing I'm most against is you have two unprotected picks 2026 and later. And so, like, your scenario, you could probably sell me on. But I also understand as the Jazz why you wouldn't. Like think that that's necessarily enough because if you want if oh the Knicks are going to be good they have Donovan Mitchell in 2023 and they should be fine in 2025 I could see them devaluing those picks it's such a though again this these discussions what what the actual price ends up being is going to be so fascinating because it's it's just like this really where we get into the nitty gritty of just the pick protections or whether they're protected or not or whose picks are they because the Knicks have so many and what youngsters are attached. The one thing I will be sort of surprised at is if they get out of this, not trading two of their young players who are not RJ Barrett. My assumption mm. has been that it will be Quentin Grimes and then Toppin. I know quickly has been mentioned, but like if you're the Knicks and you have Mitchell and Brunson, and I saw a report today that like they, the Knicks don't want to trade Derek Rose. And I'm assuming mm. that's a tips thing. I was to say, who doesn't want to trade Derek Rose? Right. In the uh, so if you're going to like, if you have that, I'm not saying I would prefer quickly long-term to Derek Rose, of course, but we don't have to treat Emmanuel quickly like he's, you know, a crown jewel to your future. At Can that I counterpoint, point. go ahead. Derrick Rose is on an expiring contract and has not proven that he can play outside of one COVID shortened season in which he missed a month and a half from COVID. I don't. You don't have to. I am not a Derrick Rose fan. I want to make that clear. Right, but like that's good, why. Yeah. That's why Quickly's not as expendable but, as one might seem. I think he's actually the perfect backup point back like fourth string point guard perfect two guard because of his wingspan you know a backup two guard i should say because of his wingspan they can also run point and handle the ball i guess with the idea that i think rj can be more of a playmaker in bench heavy units mm -hmm. i value top in more than quickly if you're gonna have jalen brunson and donovan mitchell on your team moving forward that's where i would just be be at if i'm the knicks i would love to 
think Tibbs is going to stagger more in order for that to come into play. Because then, yeah, I would love to let RJ and RJ and Jalen Brunson run the offense for a little bit, or an RJ run with the second unit a little bit. Oh, Donovan Mitchell's running with the second unit for a little bit. I just he seems to be set on this hockey lineup of five on five off, and it's why I I see quickly playing more point guard than we anybody expects him to be because knowing of Derrick Rose's injury history. Um, look, I I'm with you on the fact that. I was always more, and I think this has been the collective movement of the fan base. I'm willing to give up more of draft capital if I get to keep more of the depth pieces that are on the roster. And look, it's it might have to be part of our drinking game here at Knicks Film School, but the idea of Julius Randle still being here makes things so complicated because if you're telling me we trade all these things all these assets, all these drafts, future draft capital for Donovan Mitchell. I then also want Julius Randle to not be on the team because that will harm their chances of that 23 pick, that 25 pick, that 27 pick mattering. Um, also, the so the Minnesota picks are 23, 25, 27, and then protected in 29, right? I think it's like top five protected or yeah, something. Yeah, top five protected in 29. So if Ainge asks for 24 and 26 from the Knicks, and then he gets 27 and 29 from the Lakers or just 27 from the Lakers. And then the Knicks throw in like three of the protected picks. That's six picks right there. And then Quentin Grimes and Evan Fournier, or I guess in this case, Russell Westbrook. How is like just unbiased observer? How does he turn that down? Six more so picks. You're saying he gets what years of the unprotected from the 24, the 26, and then 27 from the Lakers. So he's getting three unprotected picks, three protected picks. In Give him Dallas, saying? Dallas, Washington, and Milwaukee. We'll, we'll do those. I, I think it would really come down to if they're, I don't, based off what they did with Minnesota, I don't think they're thinking this way, but maybe they're thinking this way a little bit more because they didn't with Minnesota. Do they want to see any material value in their return now to where they can point? to a tangible direction in the form of an actual player. I don't think you're going to get that from the Knicks anyway, if you're not trading RJ Barrett, like whether it's Grimes, Toppin or quickly. And it also comes down to, um, do does he just want, and he did this with the Brooklyn deal when he blew up Boston. Like he just wants the distant first rounders because that's what he used. Um, you know, that that's what, turned out to be most valuable in trades and was just hanging over the rest of the league where the Celtics were linked to every single superstar that became available under the sun. And if you go 24, 26, you know, 24 is only one year down the line. Do you see the Knicks could still be very combustible if they have Julius Randall, but you're also giving them more time to move Julius Randall too. So there's, it's just so difficult to parse. How does he say no to it? I think it's because he probably doesn't that he wants as distant first round picks from the Knicks as possible. And that he will view, this is just my personal opinion as getting like only one of their picks post 2025, one of their picks, even if he's getting one from the Lakers, he will view that as like not a failure, but a concession on his part It's just my belief with the way that he negotiates. Then just personally, I think he's negotiation, negotiating in bad faith and it's why almost almost Ainge is the nickname for a reason. You know, all of the almost trades that he made with, with Boston after the Brooklyn trade happened. Um, I, I just I'm sorry, that's six picks that you're getting back for Donovan Mitchell. But you have to sort of measure where are those that Dallas pick. I know that they lost Jalen Brunson, but like realistically, is that conveying in the lottery? 
Not the lottery. What if it's top 20? The, the West is that's stacked not, But that's year. like, especially like to a team like, yeah, you want to get as many bites at the draft Apple as you can. But for a team that already has, uh, I think, three 2023 first round picks right now, unless I'm just completely so mistaken here. Forget the Dallas pick then. Like the other three that might probably convey later then. Um because the Milwaukee pick is twenty twenty five. Detroit, Washington. We don't know when those are going to convey. They're not going right. to convey next season. So if guess, though, yeah. it's Detroit, Washington, Milwaukee. Because Milwaukee is twenty twenty five. That'll can that'll convey because it's I think top five protected. Spoiler alert: the Milwaukee Bucks are not finishing in the top five in two years. Um, Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton are getting a little old, but man, yeah. if the Milwaukee Bucks are in the top four, right. then all hell is breaking loose. <laughs> so I think if you're telling me they're getting three unprotected firsts. And two are coming from the next one are from the Lakers. And then they're getting three picks after 2023. And they're getting one of the Knicks young players, Grimes, topping quickly. If they say no to that, could I see Danny Ainge saying no to that? I could. I could, like, if that's the Knicks is like, if I'm the Knicks, like, I wouldn't want to go any more than that. I could come with an argument for why the Jazz wouldn't do it. I just try to. But if I'm the Knicks, I don't know how you justify going further than that. It's also predicated, though, I think, on the Lakers being okay giving up the one first round pick for who. And I know like we mentioned, maybe Fournier going there. I'm really not a big believer that they want to have any money on their books beyond this season. Um, and so I'm wondering if that throws a hang up into any potential like, oh, if you had Fournier going there, because the Jazz do have like Boyan's expiring. Malik Beasley has a team option. So so he's expiring. When you're looking at them dealing straight up with the Jazz, if you're asking them to take on Fournier or I know a lot of people floated the idea of Randall, but that's I feel Randall's, like that not, Randall's not happening. Randall's not, it's happening. not happening. He's a better basketball fit than Russell Westbrook, but that bar is just so low that it really doesn't doesn't matter. I'd argue it's a worse option for the Lakers because Russ is an expiring contract right now. You're not committing to Julius Randall for this season. You're committing to him to him longer oh, than you'd be long, committing to LeBron term, James. Yeah. I was just looking at the pure basketball. Oh, the pure basketball. They were willing to take on money, but I would be. I'd be curious, and can they? This is where a fourth team might come in handy, like the Pacers or the Spurs have cap space too. Um, is this going to come down to can the Knicks find a way to trade the long term money they need to send out in Fournier, or maybe it's more preferably Randall at that point uh, to make it work? But the Lakers' involvement, I think, as you guys and other people have outlined, it does feel, I don't want to say critical, but it's key if I think the Knicks want to get out of this without giving up like their entire future draft, like when you really look at it. So, a couple things. First of all, that's why it kind of all falls on LeBron. LeBron is going to have to... I, I am assuming that he doesn't sign the extension if he didn't have some reassurance from Palinka, from Genie, that those two picks, the 27 and 29, are untradeable. That they're absolutely going to trade one of them, if not two of them, to make the roster better. Um, as far as Fournier is concerned, you look at what has has succeeded best around LeBron. Yes, it's been like versatile defenders, but I think a sharpshooter that again it shot close to fifty percent, forty percent from three with a high effective field goal percentage last year would actually be good. And because it's a three plus a team option, like it's not like they could he could be an expiring contract next year, which like could be something that they could trade next year if they're trying to avoid money. You know what I'm saying? Especially with the cap going up, that that 18, 19 million that he's owed next year might actually be an unmovable thing. If they're looking to get off from Fournier, you know, I would think that, I guess you would still need a sweetener to get off of Fournier, even in what would be the final year of his deal. And I don't think it's as big of an issue if they're thinking, Oh, well, we don't care about, we're just going to maintain flexibility into 
2024 when LeBron has that player option again. And I think Anthony Davis is a player option that season too, uh, rather than looking at it through the lens of the summer of 2003, when they could also technically have some cap space to, to play around with. So it's, I, I still think I can't imagine a team. Uh, maybe Fournier has a fantastic season. I know he's a good shooter, but maybe there's a team that's just okay. Absorbing what would be at that point, his $18 million salary. Uh, I would still think it takes a small asset, which the Lakers do not have those, right? They don't now. have a second round pick in they like pro- they seven years. I just, we've seen what it kind of costs to move money at points. And just like a throwaway second round pick to get off 18 plus million dollars is just not something we've really seen. What did the Knicks happen. give up for Alec to get rid of Alec Burks and their own Noel? That was like a top or, 57 protected pick. That was, well, that was as part of like, they had the larger machinations of that entire. They added like, it to, to the draft night deal, but like I'm saying, they were determined to move money, and they moved the second. Is my point? But they moved other stuff, like as like you don't look at those transactions in some, and like Kemba Walker's a part of that too. Like all the, they mm-hmm. they paid, it seems like to dump Kemba Walker, Nolan's Noel, and Alex Burks. I also think it's a little bit different. Fournier's salary is not unmanageable, but when you're breaking it up into like more digestible numbers. Uh, it's it's also a little bit easier to spin it that way. I would be just fairly shocked if if you told me that they just gave up a distant second to get off Evan Fournier's money in the summer of 2023 and didn't have to take anything back. I would be I would be fairly surprised if they you, were able to do that. You might be right. I I think they can't look at next summer completely without looking at the season of one more season of LeBron James going for a title, which I. Just me personally, after watching Evan Fournier for a year, I, I think he fills the Kyle Korver role that he did in Utah really well. The Mike Miller and Shane Battier role that he filled in Miami, like all these shooters that you put around LeBron that just catch and shoot. And Evan Fournier is really good at that. The the pick and pop that he's really good at. Um, they did it next to Julius Randle pretty successfully last year. We're talking 50. I just looked. I didn't realize it was actually got to this high. 54% effective field goal percentage. I think the Lakers would sign up for that right now. Granted, it's more expensive than what they paid Melo last year, but that's what they got from Carmelo Anthony last year. Um, maybe get a similar output on defense as well. My point being, and this is, I've been hinting at it. The other thing I not necessarily disagreed with you on, but wanted to get your take on it. Maybe we'll, we'll start to wrap up here. Who's beating the Knicks in that offer? Six picks, like the the trade I just suggested, that but it's one Lakers first, two Knicks first, unprotected, and then three of the protected picks, and then Quentin Grimes. I think I know you have a you had a Washington take that I was curious about. I don't. <laughs> I'm letting you clarify. I'm I'm not throwing any judgments at you. I'm just letting you clarify. So to the Knicks point, I don't think there's a team that realistically will get involved that can beat them. Could you see like Orlando or the Pelicans? putting something together that beats what the Knicks are offering. I could. I just don't think Orlando's looking to trade like Jalen Suggs and a crap ton of draft equity at this point. The Pelicans have some mm-hmm. Lakers picks. They have a bunch of you know younger wings that are intriguing there. Uh, I think that they could build an offer that rivals the Knicks, but Donovan Mitchell has no function there. Teams that you can... And look, we've this is the other part of these negotiations. We've heard very little about any other teams being involved. Shams has just thrown in Washington and Charlotte a couple of times. Miami was mentioned tangentially at the beginning and not since. And there's been the Knicks. And so, no, like relative to that field, I don't think anyone beats the Knicks. My take on the Wizards was, I think 
their best blockbuster trade offer, whether it's for Mitchell or someone else, is more intriguing than people realize. Because as we're talking about when these picks are going to convey for um, Detroit and Washington's pick there, if you're sending the Wizards back a star, I think it's a fair gamble to say, if they trade us a conditional 25 first, which would have to expire if it doesn't convey, should 23 not convey, this sounds so convoluted. But I think it's reasonable to say, if we're sending them another really high-end player, that their lotto-protected pick will convey to the Knicks this season. And then if you make that assumption, it just opens up what their offer becomes because you're looking at picks in 25, 27, and 29. 29 is the only guaranteed one. They can include swaps. I don't... I'm a huge believer in Denny Avdia, not as much as I am RJ Barrett, but Denny (laughs) Avdia is really good and he's 21. They have Kyle Kuzmo's 27 expiring contract. It's turned into a two-way wing. Johnny Davis could be solid. He was just drafted number 10 overall. We'll see if uh, his specialty in college translates to the NBA. I think they can get involved in talks. There might always be teams that can beat them, but if Memphis is a team that can beat them for a star is Memphis even involved in that star. It takes the interest. And just like, I think the Pelicans aren't going to be interested in Mitchell or shouldn't be. So I'm not saying people took this as when I said, I think the wizards can make a competitive offer. They took it as better than the Knicks, or I guess even coming within 100 miles of the Knicks would be an insult. And that's, that's really not what I was saying. I do think a team and I've received pushback on this. I don't know if the offer is better, but like if you're Toronto, and you're either using Fred Van Fleet to acquire other first to send to Utah since his upcoming free agency and his timeline doesn't fit Utah's, or you're including OG Ananobi salary and then like draft equity for days. Uh, I think that's an offer that I would deem on par or at least semi-competitive to what the Knicks are offering. Now you're laying out a Lakers scenario, if assuming they'll do that. Uh yeah, the six, the three unprotected first plus three additional on a Quentin Grimes is let's say OG Ananobi salary filler and three firsts. Like that, that the Knicks offer still probably beats that. But I do think that could be like an al- alternate route that Utah could viably explore, which is why I don't think they're without leverage unless these other teams are just really all backing away from Donovan Mitchell, which very quickly, the final thing I'll say, other teams should be interested in Donovan Mitchell. He is really really good. And I Almost feel like public underrated perce- at this point, you know? Yeah. He, I think perception is just veered away because Utah got stale and it's just mm-hmm. veered away from reality. Yeah. Guy was the best player on a team that was a one seed two years ago. You know? Yeah. yeah. And I mean, we can quibble over who was more responsible for their success, but in a playoff setting, yeah, Donovan Mitchell, your wagon is going to be tied to him more than it was to Rudy Gobert just because of how much shot creation and making matters in a slowed down, like half court postseason game. Are you a Gobert truther? Define truther. That it's actually, he was the reason for Utah's success. And that you could have plugged in any high volume scoring guard and they still would have won as many games as they did. No, because I do think there's a tug of war between him and Mitchell and the dynamic was interesting because I think he needed Mitchell on offense just as much as Mitchell and everyone else needed him on defense. And I'm a Gobert truther insofar as People who think that he's a liability in certain matchups or that he gets played off the floor in the playoffs, it was always a function of what they did during the regular season wasn't optimized against certain teams or was so rigid because of the personnel in front of him, you couldn't adjust against certain teams. And so Mm -hmm. that's why I'm a big believer in what Minnesota can do with him. But I don't think it's as easy to say maybe Rudy Gobert was their MVP for a lot of regular seasons. But if you take either one of these players off the jazz, 
one side of the floor is probably imploding. I agree. Um, I think the... I still think the Knicks, as much as as much as this summer's been exhausting, I think the Knicks somehow end up with Donovan Mitchell. Um, I mean, they better. At this, at, I don't at think this they point, need him, but it's like... So that's actually my last question. Am I allowed to be proud of my team for holding the fort and staring, like, continuing the, sta- the staring contest with Danny Ainge if they walk away from this eventually? Oh, this is the hardest thing to do is to walk away from acquiring a star, not giving up the star. That's easier to just walk, especially when he has three years left on his deal. It's like Utah's worst case scenario is we still have Donovan Mitchell and all this stuff from the Rudy Gobert trade. Mm -hmm. New York's worst case scenario is if you're talking about winning the press conference that the media will definitely not be invited to. um, The (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I had to do that. You had to. You had to. (laughs) If you're talking about winning the press conference, it's harder for New York to walk away. I think their fans will understand. I don't subscribe to the idea either, at least with this front office regime, that because of the pressure from the media that they would go and just give up more for Donovan Mitchell. I don't think that's a thing. I think you, as a fan, I'm absolutely impressed with how the Knicks have handled negotiations to this point, If given the reporting we've seen. At the end of the day, it does come down to what is the final cost here. And if they walk away to me, it's more impressive than if they actually get him, unless we look back at this deal and say, wow, the Knicks very clearly won it. And so if they do walk away, I think that takes a lot. Do I think it opens up the risk that do they start the season slow and then they're incentivized to maybe up the ante? If that happens, I think that's with any team. It's not just, you know, you could say that's a Knicks for click slam, but I think with any team coming this far, walking away, not succeeding, you're going to feel the pressure to maybe come back to the table. Um, but I would be if they actually walked away, and I don't think that's what the RJ Barrett extension was, and no. that's how people sort of painted it as a, a little bit. Um, if they actually walked away, yeah, hell yeah, I would be impressed. Okay. Look, every I have so little intel, but I have I do have little intel on this. They were done. The Knicks were done when they signed Jalen Brunson. They thought next summer was the summer of Donovan Mitchell, and that's when they would make their play. And I think a lot of people around the league seem shocked that the Jazz were the ones making this decision. It's Minnesota. As early it's as they all did, Minnesota's it, fault. Minnesota got desperate, traded everything for Rudy Gobert, and this summer became the summer of Donovan Mitchell. Yeah. And so it's like, even if you thought Utah was going to be the party that... Because we so often see it's the star that initiates the exits. It's very rarely that you see the team initiate both mm-hmm. superstar exits. And now the Jazz are doing that, and they both have all this time left on their contracts, which is just unheard of. And so um, it's, I, I I'm, I'm with you there that I don't think the Knicks went into the summer thinking, because look, logistically speaking, if you knew that Donovan Mitchell was going to be in play, I don't know that you're jumping through as many hoops to bring in Jalen Brunson. I think their work, the offense would be divine. I would have concerns defensively. Jalen Brunson tries a lot harder than Donovan Mitchell on defense, but you know what you're doing there? You're thinking only basketball. I think Leon was bringing his grandson home or got not grandson, godson. Yeah, home. I mean, like there's so many other non basketball th- reasons why they look, went the, and got Jalen Brunson. The actual inspired take here is that the Knicks acquired all these additional first round because picks they're to about flip to get the tampering fine because they're going to get knocked for tampering. Yeah, which will and I made that joke and people got mad at that because it, the NBA has never enforced like it's like I'm very much aware of that. Like they're not mm-hmm. going to if they get docked a first round pick, I'd be. If I'm the Knicks, I'd be mad. Why are we the team? I mean, they were pretty egregious about it, but like there have been just as egregious examples. But uh, Dan, how do you not tamper? He's your godson. Your son is his agent. I, I will say the audacity 
I know his father has been an assistant in the NBA and also under Tom Thibodeau in the mm-hmm. past. I get that. But the audacity to hire him like amidst all this was just, I was almost impressed because it's <laughs> like, that's so brazen. Uh, what are they just not going to? And even, I don't know if you read that Tim McMahon piece at ESPN where like, uh, Rick Brunson basically admitted to kind of t- like I-, I already told Leon, like there's no guarantee I'm bringing Jalen with me, yeah, or whatever the quote yeah. was. And I was just like, I almost appreciate how upfront they're being about it. I know Adam Silver has a job to do and he has to enforce something. I think Nick's one of their 37,000 second round picks will probably be the thing that gets gets docked. I just anything. like <laughs> we're telling me LeBron James and or excuse me, like Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving just woke up. Uh, from a nap on July 30th, on July 30th, 2019. And we're like, you know what? Let's go to Brooklyn. How's that? Let's go to Brooklyn. There was no conversations ahead of time, which then goes to the Knicks fans warranted. I think paranoia that this will be the thing that is, you know, the, the most egregious tampering that we've ever seen. I would be out. Like you can't, just, I know all tampering is not uniform. Like the Nuggets clearly tampered with DeAndre Jordan. Mm-hmm. I don't know why you do that on purpose, uh, unless he has like was blackmailing you somehow. But like you can't, if you were to levy them a penalty, you can't be the same. It's you know it has to be commensurate with the the quote unquote tampering crime. But given the past that they've, um, except for like the Bucks and the Bogdanovich deal that was scuttled, like look at what happened with Kyle Lowry and the Heat and Orlando Ball with like mm-hmm. the board. Like it's just you would have to be annoyed as hell if they decided, well, now we're going to make an example out of the Knicks. Like this stuff needs to be laid out beforehand where it'd be after this summer. Like if this happens again, like first round picks are coming out of your pocket. Which is why the precedent being set is what Chicago was caused, which is a second round pick. And that's what I think the Knicks oh, no, get I don't think anyone should actually be worried about that. And if oh, I'm not, yeah, yeah. it's I. I actually appreciated the joke that they made all those picks because they're going to get knocked for tampering. I understand a fan base that has been, and that's the other part in the end, like getting lumped, lumping in the Leon Rose era to the Scott Layden, Isaiah Thomas, Phil Jackson, um, Steve Mills regimes. I was in Miami for vacation a couple of weeks ago and our waiter was a Knicks fan, but he's like, like you had PTSD had kind of checked out on the team and was so ready to be like Jalen Brunson, a hundred million dollars. It's way too much like that for a point guard. And I was like, he's the best point guard they've had since uh, Stefan Marbury. And he's actually at a discount when you look at what the salary caps going up to. And the more you start to inform some of the other Nick fans that aren't as plugged in as we are, you realize we're now talking about basketball with this team. We're talking about basketball fit. We're not arguing about whether or not the Porzingis trade was good, whether James Dolan went on ESPN radio. We're not talking about uh, did Charles Oakley get a, get escorted out by security? Did Derrick Rose show up for the game and not tell anybody or not to, or not show up and not tell anybody? Like there is an encore conversation about the Knicks that is consistent and debated and I think that that is a, a difference in tone. We're now discussing whether or not Julius Randle can play next to these other guys. The fit of Donovan Mitchell next to Jalen Brunson, which is a nice change, of course, from a franchise and a fan base that's had to wonder for a while, will we ever be able to just talk about basketball again? You know, and I, I also think that's fair because you're also sort of dealing with as the Knicks a transition where I found I don't mean to loop the fan base together, but I found Kings fans like really good at least the ones i follow on twitter and i try and follow like fans and bloggers to get like 
a pulse of where they're at, but they've been like very accepting of criticism or when they disagree with me. And it's because their franchise is still at the point where, you know what, you kind of should doubt every single thing that they do. They haven't earned the benefit of the doubt right now. Mm -hmm. And for the Knicks and their fans, you're at the point when talking about me as a fan or media member, like I'm not at the point where I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt, but I'm at the point where like, I should be thinking a little bit more deeply about what they're doing. And on draft night specifically, as those details were trickling out, like, yeah, I'm always going to get off my off the cuff jokes because that's how I use Twitter. And I think that's fair game. But when you step back and look at everything, so I think it was like a bizarre mode of operations. If they didn't think they were going to be in the mix for Donovan Mitchell and to get to Jalen Brunson. Yeah. I, I thought it was like, weird. Do I think it was franchise malpractice or bad? No, it verged on like <laughs> really savvy when you look at it. It just it took like a very circuitous path to get there with the way that it was reported. So I get that transition to where this front office is not at the you know, this current, not even this current Kings regime, but like they're still dealing with crap from the, the past regime. And look, this regime is going to take a ton if whatever happens with Halliburton, Sabonis, that thing. So I understand why fans, like the Knicks should probably be given more benefit of the doubt than the Kings at this point. And so I could understand that reaction. And a lot of the, what Nick fans have taken issue with, with, I guess me is that they're claim. They think some of the guys on the beat are really unfair. They're really bad, uh, which is, you know, everyone has their opinion there, but like not every, my, my only thing would just be like, I can't claim to know anything about someone off of a single tweet that I saw. Like, if you don't follow me, you can't pretend to know like my tenor of the team. I get first impressions matter. Um, but just because, person X sucks doesn't mean that person Y who's making what I feel like is at least the way I tweet is most of the time clearly a joke. And it's, there's a clear demarcation when I'm serious. It doesn't mean that everyone's out to get your team, but that's also the, when I was younger and I'm not trying to patronize to like fans who are older and feel this way. Like I remember feeling like there was like an active agenda out to get my team. Like the amount of times I thought Patrick Ewing had too many fouls and was just like, well, this is mm. rigged. Um, I just, I don't buy that there's just like, I'm with you that there's an inherent advantage to including the Knicks, the Lakers, the dubs at this point, all these flagship franchises or, you know, headline players into content because it draws engagement. I'm just not, I, I don't go into things thinking like defaulting to, well, they just have an agenda against the Kings or the Thunder or the, the Knicks for, for that matter. Well, think about the teams you just mentioned. The Lakers won a title two years ago. The Lakers just, the, the Warriors just won a title. And then the Knicks get lumped into those standards, you know? So that's why it's like we're a, we're a middling team right now looking to get from barely making the playoffs once or not even barely making the playoffs, being a four seed in a pandemic shortened year to like a consistent playoff team. And we're getting put in the same eyeball context of the teams that are competing for titles, you know? I do wonder if it hurts that a lot of people are just like so prepared to dismiss what happened in the bubble or the pandemic truncated season where there weren't fans in the stands for a lot of it. I wonder how that sort of caked into how they view the Knicks success then versus now. I haven't like, I haven't really given it that like, I'm not calling like the Lakers championship fake. I don't, I do think, yeah, maybe some shooters and role players benefited from fans not being in stands at some point, but I tend not to get too deep into that. I just wonder if it's, if it's a factor in the way that people consider it. That's I, not something I've given deep thought to, but you saying, the pandemic shortened season did make uh -huh. me think about it briefly. I, 
Hey, Dan, I know one player who's who was affected by the pandemic. 40 something percent. Yeah. From, back threes, yeah. From, yeah <laughs> and then made all the long twos. And then the next year turned into the basketball manifestation of a pumpkin. Um, Dan Valley, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I highly recommend his work. And I hope that all of you are able to enjoy it as well. Dan, thanks as always, buddy. This was great. Thanks so much for having me on, Andrew. Once again, a big thank you to Dan for coming on today's pod. I hope you all enjoyed it. Again, his podcast is Hardwood Knox. It's available on the Knicks Film School, Knicks Film School, excuse me, the Blue Wire Podcast Network, wherever podcasts are available. And please head on over to YouTube and subscribe to his YouTube YouTube channel. I swear by him. If you take my word as any type of gold, I know some of you have taken movie recommendations from me. I recommend Dan Favalli. That's the movie I'm recommending for for this month. Although I said at the top, all the different things to look forward to in September. Movies are about to start getting better. You know, if you've been dissatisfied by the movies that have come out this year, we're headed into Oscar season full force. So stay tuned for that. Um, As I mentioned in the intro, we are doing the fifth pick draft this weekend. And it won't just be three people. We are adding a fourth person because the fifth pick is actually loaded. And I think it should be entertaining to have Jeremy and I defending the newer version of basketball, whereas John and Benji can go back into the 60s and 50s and draft all of the old timers that they'd like to. Regardless, uh, it'll be a fun episode. Uh, Please like and subscribe when it drops. And obviously with this podcast, if you dug these episodes that we've done over the past couple of weeks, head over to iTunes, drop a five-star rating and a review. We'll be back on Monday. Hope you guys have a good Labor Day weekend. And until then, take care. Thank you for listening. I'll speak with you soon. Danny Ainge, chill. Have a good weekend, everybody. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.